Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. In the Gun, episode 121 of your new favorite WVU football podcast. I'm Wesley Euler with the best teammates in the business. We've got the runaway beer truck down the sideline, Bing Owen Schmidt himself, and the signal caller, Jed Drenning here. And of course, you already know this episode of ITG brought to you in part by our friends at Bet Online, where the game starts. If you're watching on YouTube, you'll notice... I've got a uh, I got a Bruce Irvin jersey on here today, and I know Big O was already giving me grief before we hit the record button here. All right, it's the wrong one now, okay? Because I'm wearing the Seahawks, the old the old five one Bruce Irvin, the Super Bowl champion Bruce Irvin jersey here. But our guy Bruce, uh, just when we all thought that he was done with his football career, right? I mean, he's he's getting inducted into the WVU Hall of Fame. He's on the sideline for some of these games. Well, not so fast, my friend, as Lee Corso would say. Big O, Big Bruce, uh, signing with the Detroit Lions this week. He's going to start on the practice squad, but obviously you think he's got a great opportunity to, to be a part of that active roster down the stretch here. And, you know, for a Lions team that really started to build momentum last year and has carried that into this year, one of the top seeds in the NFC right now, you know, kind of right behind the Eagles there, right in that in that race in the NFC, adding a guy like Bruce is, has got to be great for, for a team that has so many young guys, for a team that has so many guys that haven't had postseason success like he has. Uh, it's got to be great to, to have a guy like that in the organization for Detroit. Yeah, and, and Bruce is kind of really, you know, not to uh, not to down him at all, but he has matured into like an absolute, you know, superstar um, from where he came. Um and just to now the experience, the hard work, the dedication, the the struggle and strife he's been through in his life, um, the absolute motivation he'll be able to bring to that Lions team coming in, you know, halfway through the season, really, uh, you know, who knows, you know, him getting on an active, you know, they're probably going to see where he's at conditioning wise and whatnot. And, uh, he could be playing on Sundays real quick here in the near future. I mean, it's for, absolutely for a team crazy that, for a team that is going to win their division and, and host a playoff game at least, you know? Absolutely. And, yeah. uh, you know, to come in with some, you know, fresh legs a little bit, he might be, have, might have a little cobwebs to dust off, but probably not many. And, and to come in and, and kind of just let him eat deal situation, not a bad deal for him. I love well, it. He was drafted. When he entered the league, guys, that's back when you still had the more rigid jersey number code. Linebackers had to wear this number, D-line, O-line, et cetera, et cetera. That's why he had a 51. Well, now the Pandora's box is open. You can wear basically anything you want to wear. So to that end, I say, attention, Khalif Raymond. Give up your number 11. Come on, give <laughs> up your number 11 with those Detroit Lions. Let, let's see Bruce Irvin in his last hurrah wearing that old WVU number 11 again. But, Owen, I agree with you. A guy like that fits in any locker room, first of all. But but I think Bruce Irvin and Dan Campbell are going to be two peas in a pod, right? Oh, I think that's a great addition. I think a presence of, of a, a guy like Bruce in, in any locker room is going to help him take a step forward. But when you can have a guy like that, just asking him to be a situational player, even more specialized and more situational than he was at the peak of his career because he's always been a pass rush specialist. But but when you can have a guy like that 
that tells you you're just you're just kind of cherry picking now. You don't have a lot of needs from roster standpoint, and now you're just kind of dotting your eyes, crossing a couple more T's, and here you go. But but uh, addition to a roster that that kind of puts him in position, as strange as it may feel to say, the Detroit Lions are a legit Super Bowl contender. So let's go Lions. Hey, they're they're seven and three, and like I said, I mean, you look at the rest of that division, Minnesota without Kirk Cousins. I mean, Josh Dobbs has done great for them the last couple of weeks, but I don't think they're going to keep pace with the Lions. The Packers and the Bears are a mess. Um, yes. I mean, that that Detroit team, I think, and especially they're seven and three right now. If you look at their schedule, it sets up pretty well down the back half. I mean, they could easily win twelve games. That Lions team host a playoff game, maybe two if they can stack some wins there. So. Yeah, we'll be keeping an eye on Bruce and if he's able to get on that active roster and, and contribute with some fresh legs, like Big O said. Uh, I love it. You know, he, he was one of my favorite Mountaineers of all time. He was, you know, playing while I was in school. Um, I'll never forget, you know, when he was drafted by Seattle 15th overall in 2012. Uh, Owen, you'll like this story. That was shortly after my 21st birthday, okay? And after my 21st birthday, I lived in Sunnyside when I was in school, and much, I mean, I could <laughs> – I could I could have thrown a football from my front door and hit Mutz. I mean, that's how close I, I I live to Mutz. And so that was right around the time too, 2012, that they turned the NFL draft. It started to become more of a spectacle, and they started to make it a you know an event, and it was multiple nights and all that stuff. And the first round kind of its standalone thing and a big production. I remember being at Mutz for the first round of the NFL draft. And they've got the draft on all the TVs and the volumes cranked up, right? And everyone's kind of doing their thing and half paying attention to the draft and half hanging out. And you hear that doom, 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 doom. With the 15th pick in the 2012 NFL draft, the Seattle Seahawks select Bruce Irvin, West Virginia University. And it was like a bomb went off in mutts. Like it just turned into straight K. People are chucking their beers in the air. Everyone's screaming and yelling. The whole place is going, Bruce. It was uh it was one of those one of those cool moments from my from my college career that I won't forget. So all the best to Bruce Jeff Irvin. Castile. Go ahead. No, I was just gonna say all the best to Bruce Irvin, and we'll be rooting for you. Yeah, Jeff Castile recognized what he had before Bruce even really settled into a full-time role and understood the big picture, what we were trying to do defensively. He just, you couldn't help but see the raw talent. So here we were as an odd stack defense in a three-man configuration up front at the point of attack. And to Jeff's credit, what he did was he put in what we called the SWAT package. And now when we went to an even front just for third downs in the old Big East days, and uh, that even front defense included uh, Bruce off the edge and some of the highlights that you remember from his days at West Virginia were in that SWAT package and you, you just had to find a way and Jeff recognized look even if he doesn't understand all the calls and all the plays we got to get this guy on the field eventually he'll learn the rest right but and of course he did he settled into one of the greats uh, a hall of famer for all the right reasons but uh, he was just explosive he was dynamic and you recognize that from the first time he put on pads in Morgantown Bruce Irvin, yeah, Chris Chris Neald, Julian Miller. I mean, that was a that yeah. was a heck of a trio across that line. Yeah, it sure was. Yeah, that was a savage D D front for sure. They were they were a lot of fun to watch, and and we'll be watching Bruce as he uh, as he maybe gears up for one last run here with the Detroit Lions. A uh, big thank you to Fortis for presenting this episode of In the Gun as well too. Shout out to our guy Rick Lewis for roof performance and financial certainty guaranteed. Make sure you visit Fortis.us.com. Well, from a more recent uh, Mountaineer legend in Bruce Irvin to an all-time Mountaineer legend in Don Nealon. Gentlemen, 
his uh, contributions to the university, to the football program, finally going to be immortalized on Saturday as he will uh, have his name placed in a uh, diversified energy terrace there in the end zone. Ceremony for him. His name will go next to the greats, right? Rogers, Huff, Bosley, Tally, Major, Chuck Halley, just getting up there as well, too, at the BYU game. And, uh, you know, uh, John Antonic, you know, you mentioned this, Jed, wrote a really nice article on uh, WVUsports.com, as he so often does. Um, and I thought, you know, if he, I thought he said this really well in his article. He basically said, you know, if you're talking about a Mountaineer football football Mount Rushmore, you know, that conversation that sports fans yeah. love to have. Hey, who's on your you know, who's on your wide receiver Mount Rushmore? Who's on your New York Yankees Mount Rushmore? Who's on your Pittsburgh Steelers Mount Rushmore? If you're having that conversation about the Mountaineers, Don Nealon has to be one of those guys. And uh, it's going to be great to see him finally get that recognition and, and have his name, you know, uh, displayed in the stadium forever. Yeah, uh, it, it, it's a timeless honor, as it should be. And when you think back uh, to some of the greats who have populated this program, uh, you know, since its inception, uh, you know, the, the Bruce Bosleys, the Daryl Talleys, I mean, all, all these great names that come to mind, there is that select few that somehow, some way, I'm not going to say as a cut above the rest, but as a cut deserving to be over top of Mountaineer Field for all of time. And of course, Don Nealon is right there. If not even, I mean, maybe he should be up above looking down, kind of coaching those guys up in some way, right? But but what Don Nealon means different things to different people uh, among the West Virginia fan base. And I, I, I kind of view him as, uh, in, 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 in many ways, he took us places that it seemed we couldn't possibly ever go. I mean, there always seemed to be a ceiling on what we could achieve as a program on the national scale. Uh, yeah, we'd been to a Sugar Bowl. Yeah, we had some bowl wins. Yeah, we had some moments. But we couldn't possibly play for a national championship, right? Well, not so fast, my friend. Uh, he goes unbeaten in 1988 uh, with a Heisman finalist that he recruited and brought to town and made a quarterback when nobody else wanted to. I mean, all these different innovative things that he did and was responsible for. And then to do it again five years later, another unbeaten schedule. And again, it, it, it kind of instilled in us this belief that why not us? That that never existed, I really don't think, at least on, on the level of consistency uh, until Don Nealon got to town. I mean, we weren't really that recognizable of a brand. I mean, he's attached to the Flying WV logo itself. He's attached to the uniforms that we enjoyed for so many years and still do. Uh, when you're watching a Mountaineer game, you can kind of tell us the Mountaineers because of Don Nealon. That's one of the things he wanted. But, but guys, that's, that's the way I recognize it. But you mentioned Antonic's article. I would certainly direct people. Uh, you know, it goes back to his Schimbeckler days at Michigan and what Bo told Coach Nealon before he took the job. Certainly go to WBSports.com. And, uh, and check out John Antonic's article because it does a great job of kind of chronicling the whole story. But, but uh, it's going to be a cool moment. His, his first coaching job, Cincinnati. His first win at Mountaineer Field in 1980, Cincinnati. Cincinnati. Yeah. And he's going to be memorialized with Cincinnati in town. It, it, it's kind of neat. No, it is. I'm, I'm glad you said that. You know, uh, I saw that in the article as well, too. That is pretty cool. His first his first coaching job as an assistant was at Cincinnati. His uh, his first game when he was head coach at WVU was against Cincinnati. And uh, November 18th was also his final game that he coached at Mountaineer Field back in 2000 against East Carolina. And this is all going to happen on November 18th. Sometimes it's just really cool how that stuff comes together. 
And uh, yeah, going to be special when uh, when Don Nealon gets that that immortalization that he so richly deserves Saturday afternoon at Mountaineer Field. If uh, if you are there, make sure you're 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 screaming your tail off, you're you're clapping uh, and making some noise for for Coach Nealon when uh, when he gets. I think this. I think Sean said the ceremony was going to be at the end of the first quarter, but whenever it typically is, that's when they do that. Yeah. Typically, that's when they when they do that type of stuff. So yeah, uh, a very cool kind of full circle moment there with a lot of that backdrop as well too, and that will be a special, special moment uh, on Saturday at the final home game of this season. That home game is against the Cincinnati Bearcats, a team that we used to be familiar with for a long time in the Big East, went away for a little bit. Now they're back. We've uh, got another East Coast time zone opponent, which we know Jed loves. Finally, an opponent, too, that we have a little history, at least, you know, more distant history with than, than the last decade or so that we've spent with some of these big 12 teams. We will get into the Bearcats their first year in the conference. When we return on the other side, you are in the gun. Nobody supports the blue and gold Mountaineers like Toothman Ford. With over 20 NIL deals and counting, Toothman Ford continues to rally behind our student athletes. And it's time we rally and support the dealer that supports the Mountaineers. Not only does Toothman Ford offer the best prices in the state on pre-owned, their never-over MSRP campaign on new Fords guaranteed to save you thousands. Drive with pride all season long, knowing you're supporting the dealer that fuels our Mountaineers. Toothman Ford, where cars cost less. In Grafton and at ToothmanFord.com. For more West Virginia Mountaineer football content, be sure to follow us on Twitter at In the Gun Podcast. For nearly 20 years, Fortis has been the nation's leader in providing guaranteed roof performance programs for commercial buildings. Fortis offers roof performance solutions that feature extensive initial and ongoing reconditioning for commercial buildings as an alternative to traditional replacement with long-term performance guarantees that are backed by global leader Lloyds of London. Fortis offers a comprehensive range of roof performance management programs that provide financial security, extend the life of our customers' roofs, and make a significant impact on ROI. Fortis is currently improving performance and increasing ROI for customers at more than 4,800 locations, with more than 140 million square feet protected, including many Fortune 500 companies that have turned to Fortis to save money, gain financial certainty, and extend the life of their existing roofs. Fortis has helped customers save more than $520 million in capital roof replacement costs for an average ROI of over 250%. To learn more, visit fortis.us.com. Fortis, roof performance and financial certainty guaranteed. Let's go, Mountaineer fans. You're tuned in to In the Gun with Wes, the runaway beer truck, and the signal caller. Back in the gun here as we get ready to preview the Cincinnati Bearcats. Like I said, an, a familiar foe in a lot of different ways. A, you know, border state with West Virginia, a team that we used to share a conference with in the Big East days. Once again, we do now in the Big 12. This is their first year, obviously, in the conference. Uh, we know they're struggling a little bit. They new coaching staff, right? Luke Fickle leaves and and, and goes to Wisconsin. Uh, you know, working in a new coaching staff, right? When you're heading into a new conference, that was always going to be tough sledding, and it has been for Cincinnati so far this season. But make no mistake about it, they are certainly a team that has some really good players, some dangerous elements. And Jed, I gotta think. I mean. So often as it always does, and particularly with how we know this WVU offense wants to operate, it starts in the trenches, right? But I mean, the the five star matchup to keep an eye on in this one is that WVU offensive line against that 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 Bearcats front, right? I mean, as much as they've struggled 
they might you, I mean you could you could make an argument they've got they've got the best or certainly one of the two or three best defensive fronts in the entire conference. Yeah, and more specifically uh, on the interior of that battle with West Virginia's offensive line against Cincinnati's defensive line. Uh they're they're very productive, they're very talented. Uh you had a situation with a new coaching staff and Scott Satterfield, who you've heard Neil talk about it. He has a history with Scott Satterfield when Scott Satterfield was at Appy State and Neil Brown was at Troy. Uh, but uh, he came in, and of course, one of the things you have to do when you take the job is to assemble your staff. And people were wondering what it was going to look like on the defensive side of the football, uh, what he retained, what he had at Louisville, because they did a bang up job at Louisville on the defensive side of the football. Well, certainly he did. Brian Brown is the coordinator at Louisville came with him and uh, Brian Brown did a terrific job at Louisville for him. I mean, when you, when you look at the production, they led the nation in sacks last year, they had 50 sacks. So that's the style that you see Cincinnati building towards uh, but from a scheme standpoint, Brown himself has kind of described his scheme as, that, yes, they're a 3-4 team. Yes, they're an odd front team. But they kind of have principles that are similar to a 4-2-5 defense. And the reason he says that is they always have five defensive backs on the field. Now, of course, one of those defensive backs is the star position hybrid, which just about everybody has some version of their hybrid in today's modern game. You have to. But uh, – for the last several years under Luke Fickle, they were an odd stack defense. Now, the good news is when you step into town and you're taken over, now, these none of these schemes are identical, but it, it's easier to go from a transition standpoint from an odd stack to a 3-4 in the sense that you're used to having odd front defensive personnel. Uh, now you get to the second level, it changes up because you're not going to have the same backers and the same skill set and all that. But, but from uh, a point of attack standpoint, yeah, the, the, the guys that you're going to be talking about, I mean, it all starts with Dante Corleone. I mean, oh, and they're, they're, they're two most talented, two most explosive, and I think two most NFL ready guys are the guys that they have on the interior. Uh, Corleone's a guy that's a handful. He's 6'2", 318 pounds, uh, but he doesn't play at 318 pounds other than his strength. He's very quick. He's very explosive. He's very strong, incredible pad leverage, an incredible first step, and just violent hands. And next to him is a 6'2", another kid that's pushing 300 pounds, Jawan Briggs, uh, 297 pounds. And those two on the interior of that defensive line, have given a lot of people fits. And you might think, well, if they're giving them fits, how can Cincinnati be three and seven? Well, it's not because people have gashed them in the run game. Guys, we talked about it. When we watched Oklahoma State do to them in the run game what we did, what was the point that we made the following week after that game? Hey, Oklahoma State just ran for 300 yards on Cincinnati, and nobody this year has yet run for more than 125 that's how difficult that is to do. We even made that point the week after that game. These guys have been difficult to run on. Uh, when you look at their production, they hang around the top of the league, at least among that in that conversation, uh, among the best defenses from a total yardage standpoint. They're fourth. Uh, from a pass defense standpoint, again, they'll get after you. They'll pressure you. They're fifth. And from a rush defensive standpoint, they're fifth. So they kind of keep them hanging around. And in large measure, they do it with that talented defensive front. They got a couple edge guys uh, that are good after you too. These are 
really your hands are so full guys you don't want to have that pocket collapse from the interior and sometimes you have to commit so many resources to helping prevent that that it clears up those edge guys and eric phillips and they got greasyak uh who has 13 hurries as well those are the guys who are getting after you and piling up bigger numbers sometimes what corleone's doing and what briggs is doing doesn't necessarily surface on the stat sheet quite as much but here's the deal guys if you can find time to try and pick on their back end, especially their corners, uh, you might be able to make some hay. But the difficulty is finding that time. You're going to have to sometimes match protect. You're going to have to keep a tight end in. The backs are going to have to be activated in the pass protection game and be very physical when they do it, not just show up and pretend. I mean, you're truly going to have to have some double teams and some chips and some help from the tight ends and the backs in addition to the O-line. Because when you look at some of the things people have been able to do or tried to do on their back end defensively, let's start with this. Justin Harris He's a six-foot, 195-pound kid. He's going to wear number 12. He's one of their corners. He's been flagged six times for defensive pass interference. That's the most in all of Power 5. He's a very grabby kid. He doesn't use his body leverage nearly as well when the ball's in flight. He comes sometimes kind of gets out of sorts. He's been targeted 36 times. He's allowed 19 catches for 166 yards. But what you see on tape, when the ball's in flight, He's not extremely comfortable. It's kind of what we sometimes look like in West Virginia last year with the ball in flight and those struggles that we had. And we talked about how low our pass defended numbers were a year ago. So that's point number one. Now, if you go to the other corner, Jordan Young, Jordan Young has been flagged four times. So that's 10 DPIs between their two starting corners. But more than that, Jordan Young has surrendered in coverage 584 yards. That is the most in the entire nation among all defenders. So, again, they're somewhat liable on the perimeter on the back end if you have time to force the issue there. But the issue is it doesn't necessarily sync up in terms of their defensive line or their front seven at large allowing that time. So it's going to take a lot of that and keep an eye on Deshaun Pace. That's the hybrid kid. They'll bring him off the edge. They'll sometimes hover him in space. He'll find a void in zone coverage. He'll man you up in man coverage. So he's kind of a, a Swiss army knight to this defense. And he is that star hybrid defensive back. Uh, he's going to be flying around wearing number three. Uh, he's 6'2", 212 pounds, kind of a undersized back or oversized safety, physical kid, but also has some coverage skills. But you'll see some guys go after him as well. I mean, sometimes if you can find the time to isolate him with a certain matchup, you can make some plays. He's allowed four touchdowns in coverage. But the issue is getting to these guys. Uh, but again, the defensive line is kind of the straw that stirs this entire drink. I mean, they're going to try and find ways to, and, and they're very good. You know how we always talk about Andrew Jackson doing a great job with our snap count defensively. Well, I, I think the same thing can be said for what their defensive staff is doing with their guys. Dante Corleone, 370 snaps. Jawan Briggs, 369. Great job kind of governing how much those guys play to keep them fresh. So we'll get into when we talk about their offense, the challenge we're going to have from a keepaway standpoint, because now it's kind of a fair fight. We're facing a team that's going to try and do the same thing to us. So, uh, yeah, there's going to be some challenges there. Uh, but again, you ask yourself, well, how are they three and seven? 
Uh, well, there's deficiencies outside of what I'm talking about. Sometimes people have found a way to pass pro long enough and pick on those corners. Sometimes people have isolated that star safety and coverage. Sometimes people have, have even had success when you get to the second and third level because they will roll the dice. Remember what Oklahoma was a year ago but didn't look like last week? They would They would gamble downhill with those run fits and sometimes miss. They had 12 TFLs in Morgantown last year, but they also gave up a lot of big plays. That's more in keeping with right now what you see in Cincinnati. Because, again, bear in mind, Brian Brown, this isn't a finished product. Their defensive coordinator is going to continue to work this, and they're going to recruit to this specific scheme. And uh, it's going to continue to improve in the years to come. But right now, just being cast the hand he was dealt, he's done a pretty good job with fitting these pieces, particularly those NFL pieces right up front on the interior. Think Texas Tech in the sense that it's difficult to get movement on these guys and shove them around. And that creates a lot of other possibilities with what they can do defensively. Big dog. Wow. I was uh, I was slightly distracted during that, Jed, and I apologize. I I had sent a text message to uh, to Jason this week because you know, of course, he was a Bearcat, and uh, <laughs> oh, that's true. Did you see the picture on the surface uh, this week? Did you see the joke? picture? What was that? Travis huh? and Jason. The picture. Did you see the picture that surfaced this week? The old picture of them been? playing at Cincinnati. Oh yeah, both of them. Yeah, I'm gonna have to send that to you. They, they look like yeah. goofy 18 year olds. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. The, finalist, the both of them finalist for world's sexiest man, and the other one. Hey, but that's Taylor what I just Swift. said. Hey, did you I send the picture said that to him? <laughs> I said, I said, hey, big dog, uh, how's the body holding up? He's like, man, you know, after the, you know, it feels great after the body. Coach has been taking care of me. I said, man, you earned it. I said, I'm sure it also feels great that uh, you're the sexiest man alive as well <laughs> and uh also known as uh <laughs> brother <laughs> oh man uh, he is just there's no we'll ceiling skills, guys dude i love it man i absolutely hey, love oh it, and text dude. that picture to skylar i yeah, love what those guys are doing right now We'll have I to love throw it, it up yeah. here on the. Oh, I said fantastic. we gotta throw down on a bed. He said, "Nah, man, nah, I, I, I'm not, I'm not touching any part of that this year." So, <laughs> but uh, no, Jed. Honestly, you know, stingy D up front. Uh, you know, we're yep. gonna have our hands full. Yeah, uh, we are. As far as the O line go, this is gonna be a, another good test for Zach and that bunch, and uh, and really, you know, this could be, you know, a week we really legitimize our run game as a whole and and who we are um by putting up those numbers that we have consistently all year so we always talk about the situations that might arise okay now when you look at third down it's kind of an even matchup we're both middle of the pack our offense their defense and third down production the big 12 the thing that might jump out is even though we haven't been as effective in the last couple of weeks uh, West Virginia is still fourth in the red zone in the Big 12 in, in touchdown production at 64%. Cincinnati has kind of struggled. When the field shrinks for whatever strange reason, and it was nothing that I could really see on tape that stuck out, but uh, 62% touchdowns allowed. Uh, so they're 11th in the Big 12 in that category. That's That's one of the areas that they haven't fared nearly as well, but that's the one thing I would add. 
Uh, well, okay. So we know the defensive line is legit. We know there's some uh, there's some opportunity for the secondary there. What's this all translate to? Is this a, is this a bounce back game for Garrett? Is this another ground and pound game? Uh, what's the you know if you're if you're calling the signals there, Jed? What's the uh, you know what's at least the opening script look like? How do you how you want to test that defense? Well, we tried to get this rolling last week against Oklahoma, but the game just spiraled out of control so quickly that it wasn't a factor. But but uh, I wouldn't be surprised if, if we ask Garrett to become more engaged in the run game again. Uh, because that's one of the things when I watch tape on these guys, you do have to kind of force them to play 11 on 11. Uh, and if, and if opportunities to be, are to be made, whether it was John Reese Plumley, John Reese Plumley at UCF, uh, or even Donovan Smith at times, uh, in the Houston game, I mean, athletic quarterbacks are some of what you got to do. You got to utilize that to make any kind of hay at all on the ground against these guys, because that's a way to breach the perimeter. That's a way to test their eye discipline. Because that's the thing, Owen, when I look at Corleone, uh, probably more specifically than Briggs, not only is he all those things, but his eye discipline is incredible. I mean, you, you'll see people try and counter them, and he recognizes that so quickly. So you better engage and leverage him. So you're going to have to use all those resources, including Garrett in the run game, uh, including jet sweep action. You're going to have to have a lot of moving parts, testing the perimeter, anything to move you outside so you can kind of pick your spots on the interior as you try and wear them down. But uh, we talk about deep balls. Well, from a fundamental standpoint and a technician standpoint, Neil's talked about it. Look, Garrett, there's some, some things he needs to improve on or he's always just going to be that 50% pastor. Uh, if some of those things can improve, there are some opportunities. We've seen him make those plays down the field. We, he is a gifted deep ball thrower, as long as his fundamentals are sound. Uh, we push the envelope in the vertical pass game. Uh, we continue to do that. Uh, we, we've seen him consistently do that. Matter of fact, when you look at it, uh, we average, I think Garrett's average per attempt is higher than any other quarterbacks air yards uh, in the big 12. We're really trying to force the issue downfield with some of what we're doing. In other words, 24% of Garrett's pass attempts have been 20 plus yards downfield. And that's the most in the big 12 as a team, our average attempt in the air, our throw depth is 11 yards. And that's tied for the highest in the big 12 and second highest in power five. So it's not for lack of effort pushing the football vertical, trying to test things like these opportunities we talked about with these Cincy corners. But what you can't do is you can't be doing it from a position of desperation. You're going to have to be doing it from a clean platform and a clean pocket and take those shots accordingly. But that's kind of what it's going to have to be. We talk about the plays that Garrett's made at his best in the past game. Uh, he's still forced more missed tackles than any quarterback in the league and the fifth most in all of power five. That's what we're going to have to see. He's going to have to get, get back to playing the style of football that we saw, for instance, against Central Florida, against BYU. So we're going to need him against this very talented defensive line. Cincinnati's going to bring the town. And that's kind of what I see, guys, is, is uh, because I don't like the third down matchup. I mean, I think they do some creative things on third down. I mean, they'll really pressure and test you. Um, but you got to stay on schedule. And I don't see a way to do that without – Garrett being a critical part of the run game. We're also going to have to have some moments where we just push him around uh, and and win some of those battles. But 
it's going to be a clash of titans, guys. I mean, right there at the point of attack over the football, Zach Frazier, Dante Corleone, it's going to be a clash of titans. Here's two guys that, for all intents and purposes, should be playing on Sundays for the next decade or longer. And it's going to be worth the price of admission just to kind of small ball it and pay more attention to what's going on on the interior. You know, as Pat Kerwin likes to say, take your eye off the ball. Well, once the ball snapped, the fun stuff's really going to take place <laughs> at the point of attack with Zach Frazier and Dante Corleone. Yeah, Jed, it kind of reminds me, you know, you were we, we had a similar conversation leading up to the Penn State game, just in the mm -hmm. sense of for a lot of these WVU offensive linemen and, and Zach is, is at the forefront of that, but you know, Wyatt and Doug as well too, guys that, you know, that want to play on Sundays and have a chance to have careers in the national football league that there was a lot of matchups in that Penn state game that you were saying, right. This is one the scouts are going to cut on. Like they're going to yeah. want to see good on good, you know, guys that are two guys that are invited to the, going to be invited to the combine and going to be drafted against each other and, and see how you do. I think this is uh, another one of those, certainly for Zach and for and for Dante. Um, that's well, going to be a lot of fun to watch. It might as well be a senior bowl, big on big Oklahoma right, drill. Right. I mean, because that, th that's the type of environment these guys are going to move forward and find themselves in. So it's one of those rare opportunities, though, in that Zach, as revered as he already is, has an opportunity to improve his stock against Dante Corleone. And Dante Corleone, as revered as he is, has a chance to improve his stock against Zach Frazier. So what more could you ask for? Yeah, absolutely. Battle big on big, baby. I'm ready for it. This Saturday is going to be, you know, like I said, that's where the money's made. That's where the money's made for these guys. Season's coming to a close for for unfortunately, you know, it's, it's senior night as well. Um, so, you know, last time Mountaineer field, a lot of, a lot of different feelings, probably a lot of emotions going through. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that we're going to bounce back, you know, and especially those guys up front from the showing they had last night, it's the last game they're ever going to play there. So, you know, I, I look to see those guys having a little bit extra mustard, um uh, coming out there on the game field uh and you know if if neil and the staff kind of does the thing right with you know kind of pumping up coach neil and giving that kind of speech win one for the gipper there uh you know i could i can see a little bit extra sauce action uh coming out on saturday i'm all for it sign yeah. me up I'm all for it as well, too, especially for those West Virginia boys who know how much coach Nealon meant to the program and to the state that's well said big o uh, all right, Jed, before we spin the block here, a thank you to Toothman Ford, our guy JR, for presenting uh, in the gun, as always, too. We all know cars cost less in Grafton, so get your butts to Grafton for all of your vehicle needs. They uh, support this podcast. They support dozens of our athletes with NIL. Uh, big shout-out to Toothman Ford, and a big thank you for them being a presenting sponsor of ITG. As always, all right, Jed, other side of the gun, other side of the equation, spin the block, Cincinnati offense against the WVU defense. What stands out? Where's this matchup begin? Well, Scott Satterfield, his, his uh, pedigrees on the offensive side of the football, long history, uh, very well-respected offensive coach. Uh, you know, he was part of that Appy State staff back in the day that pulled the shocker at Michigan. Uh, oh, and he actually – Back when he was first at Appy State as a play caller, they were running a lot of option out of the eye and a lot of kind of old school stuff. Some of the stuff that he even ran when he played at Appy State. But what they did was they bounced around visiting different staffs around the country. 
and tried to see what they thought they could do to differentiate themselves uh, and maybe become a giant slayer. And one of the staffs they visited was West Virginia with Rich in the early 2000s. And they picked Rich's brain and, and liked a lot of what he was doing with his tempo. And so they took a lot of their inside and tight zone stuff and, and really paired that with Rich's tempo. And they lifted that idea and took some other ideas and built from it and created this identity that would ultimately become the scat the scott satterfield offense that we now know and recognize and everybody appreciates and many years later he still run a lot of those same concepts he still approaches things uh the same way from uh a flow of the game standpoint and when you've seen him at his best uh he's a handful i mean at appy state uh, again, Neil tangled with him and, and encountered some of those offenses. When he gets a dual threat quarterback, that's when this guy is really humming because his system kind of fits that and it caters to the skills of a guy like that. So whether it was Appy State, I mean, I remember guys like Taylor Lamb or Zach Thomas. I mean, they were very productive in the throw game, but they were also like 500-yard rushers back in the day. So it, they guys that can really hurt you and burn the candle from both ends and and really – when you look at what he did at Louisville, uh, perfectly in sync with his entire time at Louisville was Malik Cunningham. You talk about a dual threat weapon. Well, it's not easy to to follow in the shoes of Lamar Jackson, but but Malik Cunningham did a pretty good job of doing it at Louisville as a four-year starter for Scott Satterfield. And this is a kid who in Scott Satterfield's system threw for 9,000 and some odd yards, ran for 2,500 yards. Guys, he rushed for 45 touchdowns. That's the kind of production that the quarterback spot you can expect when Scott Satterfield's offense is humming on all cylinders. And so in the offseason, it was kind of a big get when he brought in Emory Jones, former SEC starter at Florida, who lost the job, transferred to Arizona State. So he bounced around again, jumped back in the portal. This is a guy who's a legit dual threat. Uh, I mean, he can tuck it and go. He can truly hurt you in the run game. Talk about a guy who forces you to play 11-on-11 football. Well, he absolutely certainly does that. And at their best, uh, they're going to have a controlled passing game, pick their shots, but run the football effectively, not just with the quarterback, but the guy that's kind of leading the way is Corey Kiner. This is another guy that he was a former Mr. Football in Ohio. Ended up signing with LSU, played quite a bit at LSU, uh, and transfers back home to play for Cincinnati. And now he's he's you know a burgeoning star. He's on the cusp of a thousand yard season. He's been consistently productive for them all year. They've really leaned on him to play this style of football that they want to embrace. And and the the engine that makes their run game go when you study them on tape, uh, what stands out is speak of the interior of the offensive line their guards they got a right guard in luke condra and a left guard in d'artanian tinsley and they both are just maulers they're road graders they're a handful so they kind of set the table for all the things that these guys try and do uh from a production standpoint uh now they there's some leakage there there's some leakage uh, again, if they're not quite on the script that they want to follow, you can penetrate, you can be disruptive, uh, you can knock them off schedule with some TFLs. Uh, I, I'm not as sold on their tackles. Uh, and even you can get to the quarterback, you can get to Emory Jones, if, especially if you put them behind the sticks. He's been sacked, you know, 24 times, 23 times. I think I did the math on this, guys, to give you some sense of it. He's been sacked 23, 
24 as a team, 23 of an Emory Jones. He sacked once every 12 pass attempts. Compare that to Garrett, once every 53 pass attempts. So that gives you some sense of how they've struggled in trying to protect. But when you look at some of the, the deficiencies outside of that, uh, on the offensive line, they got a tackle in DeAndre Buford. Uh, he's number 56. He doesn't necessarily hold up on tape, guys. Uh, that's a guy that, that really struggles, and the metrics back that up. Uh, he has a lot of blown blocks. He's been beaten a lot, not just in the pass game, but in the run game. Uh, so there's going to be some opportunities on the edges of that offensive line, not so much as the interior. But uh, the, the thing that alarms me, if, if I'm to look at this and scrutinize it further, here's the thing that jumps out. It's kind of a tale of two teams. We talked about this last year with BYU. This is an inverted version of that. For whatever strange reason, they have played pretty good football on the road. They're three and seven overall. They're two and two on the road. Okay. Now let's look at the why behind that on the road in road games only they've averaged 235 yards rushing. That's number one in the big 12 on the road. So they're the best road rushing team in the big 12 on the road, 44% conversion rate on third down tied for number one in the big 12. So when you can run the football and you can win on third down, What's that translate to? Number three, 34 minutes and 18 seconds average time of possessions on the road. Number one in the Big 12. Here we go, guys. That's our playing card. That's our go-to. Here's a team that's going to try and do to us what we do to everybody else. Bully us, play keep away, take the air out of the game. Now, they'll try and drag you into an ugly football game. In some ways, they kind of remind me of what we were early in the season before our offense hit its stride. Remember those games where we were winning ugly? That's the style of game they want to drag you into uh, because the production's not all there. Four rush touchdowns on the road, that's the fewest in the Big 12. They're not a really productive red zone team, 42% touchdowns in the red zone, worst in the Big 12. Uh, but they consistently run the football. Here's their four road games, 216 yards rushing at Pitt, 242 at BYU. Even in the blowout loss at Oklahoma uh -huh. State, they ran for 277. Last week's win at Houston, they ran for 204. So every time out on the road, they've run the football. So I think what they're leaning into, the old adage that two things travel well, that's a solid run game and a solid defense. I think that Satterfield's been along and around long enough to understand that. And he's really, especially on the road, when they leave Cincinnati, trying to lean into that and take advantage of it. And I do think that, by and large, that is exactly the type of game plan we can expect from them. A lot of ground and pound, a lot of 11-11 football game where they activate the quarterback, run him, get the most that they can out of him. Corey Connor, we're going to see a heavy, heavy dose of Corey Connor, especially on that inside zone. Oh, and those, those guards really are in sync on that inside zone. They have some weapons on the perimeter, so they will take some shots. A lot of transfers on this football team, not, and that's to be expected. First-year head coach, uh, that kind of roster transition, even more than normal in today's game. So that's to be expected. One of them is Xavier Henderson, big 6'3", target on the perimeter. They target him way more than anybody else. Braden Smith is going to get some targets. D. Wiggins, another big-bodied kid. they got a tight end in Mateer. They like to go to him. So there are some weapons that they will try and move around and configure things. But, uh, yeah, we got to find a way to 
win the battle of attrition, it's going to be a steering match and, and, and a battle in the trenches. They're going to try and play the same style of football that we do. So now more so than ever, if we can get a couple of those big plays against those corners we talked about, get an early lead. They're not a football team that's necessarily built to come from behind like us, right? So I think advantage to whoever gets an early lead in this football game, if you can get up by a couple scores, that kind of knocks them out of sorts because when you can force them to be a little more one-dimensional than they like to be in terms of throwing the football, that's not Emory Jones at his best. I mean, when you look at the number of times they've thrown the football in their wins, and their three wins, he's thrown it 23 times, 26 times, and 16 times. When you can get him up in the lower mid-30s or even 40 times throwing the football, they're way out, out of sorts in terms of what they're comfortable doing. So that all starts with a fast start, but that's some of the challenges I see, Owen. Two big hosses at those guard spots, anchoring them down. They're going to throw some inside zone at you. Corey Connor's going to try and lean on you. He's physical. He's explosive. And you're going to have a handful trying to, uh, to corral Emory Jones at the quarterback run game. Yeah, we're going to have to play some of that uh, front, the D-line front that we had kind of at the beginning of the season when they were really playing well. And hopefully Cutter and and um, Koba, you know, have a lights-out game, sideline to sideline. Secondary, hopefully they can pick it up. But it's going to be it's going to be a brute. This is a good battle, man. This, this is a, a decent game when uh, we played them back in the Big East days. And uh, they were always known for a physical, tough team, uh, even back then. Uh, when we played them uh, in the Big East. So looking forward to the matchup. I mean, it's going to be an upfront battle. That's what it's going to be. Um, like you said, both kind of same quarterbacks. Uh, so who can really make the the leader make the most mistakes? Yeah, that's what it's going to come down to. And uh, they're going to have a good plan defensively. They're going to have a good plan with what Satterfield's going to dial up on the offensive side. They're going to want to play keep away. And I wouldn't be surprised if, they're in their staff meeting saying the same thing I just said. Guys, if we can get a fast start, if we can get up by 10 or 14, okay, uh, we can kind of put them in a position of desperation and get them yep. out of their element. They're saying the same thing. It's kind of like, to some extent, it's like looking in the mirror, especially looking in the mirror of the way we were playing football earlier in the year. Uh, so they built this thing up, and now they got – it's nice to snap a losing streak, right? I mean, they dropped seven straight. They hadn't beat anybody since they beat Pitt, beat Pitt early in the year until last week when they went to Houston. So now they got the monkey off their back. They got that losing streak behind them. They have a little bit of a lead. They finally chalked up that first Big 12 conference win, whether it was against an old American conference counterpart or not. So now it's a little bit of proof of concept. And a coaching staff always likes Hey, I told you this would work. Now you saw it last week work. Let's just continue down this path. Once more on the road, let's go. Hey, we're not a bad road football team. Let's go and make it three and two. We're already two and two. Forget that three and seven stuff. One more place. Let's go on the Mountaineer field. Tough place to win. Let's go steal one there and show this conference what we're all about as we build this thing up. So there's some things as they're building this program, whether they're out of bowl eligibility or not. A lot of things to play for as they work towards some momentum to try and build into the offseason. Yeah, and we've—I mean, we've—we've we've seen that. We saw that from the Mountaineers last year, right? That, that, that carried into this year, I think. And and you're right; it's always important to finish a season strong to carry momentum into your off season. And Jed, I I agree with you that the start in this one feels pretty important. Which team can kind of dictate the terms out of the gate? Um, and that hey, that at least gives me some confidence because 
Uh, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, right? We've scored opening touchdowns in our last three games. I know we did against Oklahoma. I know we did against BYU, and I'm pretty sure we did against UCF as well. Or did we settle for three on that opening drive against UCF? That's right. Well, you're you're on points on your opening drive, at least. Yes, and they did the same thing last week at Houston. So that's one of the things when I watched the tape, I noticed their first first drive was very efficient, well-scripted, kind of like ours was. so yeah, it's who blinks first, right? I mean, that, that's part of what that's going to come down to. So that's a great point on your part, because that's one of the things I wanted to mention is they started uh, playing really efficient football on the road right out of the gates in Houston. I like the script yeah. they had together to attack that Houston defense. And uh, so there's, there's something to be said for that, but. Well, Jed, as we start to wrap this thing up, any, uh, anything on special teams that stands out to you? Well, again, in a battle of field position, uh, which the, you kind of figure on some level, this is going to play into that. All right. Uh, Ollie Straw, this is the type of game that if you pin them inside the 10 a couple times, pin them inside the 20 four times, and tilt that hidden yardage in our direction, or for that matter, Preston Fox can sneak off an 18 yard return. I mean, those are the types of pennies that you might need to st- stack. And I, I could see this being a game where the winner gets into the mid 20s and you might spend the better part of a quarter trading blows back and forth, but the field position doesn't change. And you have the ball around midfield and have to punt a couple of times before finally something happens and you somebody's back breaks. And so, yeah, I, I think that from a special team standpoint, that's kind of what's going to matter. You know, Ollie needs to bring his best and uh, and win the battle of, of coffin corner kicks and uh, because every yard's going to matter. And and if you can do that sort of thing, uh, I think that'll be one more thing that that all because you got a couple pretty good place kickers too. So that's that's what I'm looking at. But the only thing I would add, West, is not that it matters. It's neither here nor there. But it always intrigues me to look back at previous matchups, even in a past life. Uh, Neil faced Scott Satterfield three times when he was at Troy. Uh, interestingly enough, Neil's first year, that rebuild year in 2015, one of the signature games that nobody saw coming was they snuck up on Appy State and almost beat them in a 44-41 shootout, and that really turned that Troy team into believers. And uh, and that that kind of paved the way for what was to come in those three consecutive 10-win seasons. But but they fell 44-21 to there, despite Troy outgaining them in that game. And then the next year, uh, Troy upset them. I think, guys, that was, if I'm not mistaken, that one over Troy, or excuse me, Troy's win over Appy State in year two between Neil and Satterfield might have been, that might have been the game that propelled Troy into the top 25 for the first time in school history. And so. then they didn't play a year and then they finished kind of with like a lot on the line in terms of the conference championship and Troy's starting quarterback was out. So in this ugly defensive slugfest up in the mountains in Boone, uh, Appy State won 21 to 10, but these are the types of things. A lot of these memories were coming back as I was doing kind of a postmortem on on Neil at Troy, and I was remembering some of these storylines from those Appy State games then. But but uh, not that it matters a whole lot now. It's just uh, you know different staffs, different uh, uh, different rosters. But philosophically, I think there's still a lot of parallels between what Scott or Scott Scatterfield likes to do, sure, what sure. Uh, Neil Brown Neil Brown likes to do. So that's why I think it's interesting to look back on some of those things. Yeah. Hey, tendencies are always important. That past is always important. And two coaches that are familiar with their uh, with each other. Uh, we'll see how that plays out on Saturday. Certainly 
It's gonna be it's gonna be a fun one. Last listen, I know the I know the weather. You know it's November weather. Right? It's you know it's students are on break. You're close to Thanksgiving. You got you got high school football games to go to. You got some hunting that you want to do. All this stuff. I get it. But it's the last home game of the season. All right. Uh, it's an opportunity to get to seven wins. Still with another game to go. You got Don Nealon getting immortalized at the end of the first quarter. Um, let's. Let's uh listen. I know I know things didn't go the way we wanted to. It wasn't the showing we wanted last week in Norman, but there's still a big opportunity to uh to end this season with with good vibes, with a better taste in our mouth, and uh and that starts two thirty Saturday against Cincinnati, an old foe as well too. Where's Keith Tandy when you need him to go out there and knock JD Woods on his keister, baby? Come on, oh, that's JD Woods, DJ what, Woods, what whatever his whatever about? his initials were. What West? What West? West was just talking about. I mean, think about it. If you go to a Mountaineer game, I don't know what your age might be. If you go 20 years from now, 30 years from now, 40 years from now, or 50 years from now, and you bring your kids back, your grandkids, whoever it might be, you are forever going to see Don Nealon's name uh, above that terrace looking down on the action on the field. Saturday's your chance to be able to say for the rest of your living days, I was, I was there. there the day they put that up, the day that happened. I was there and it was pretty cool. And you'll have that story for the rest of your life. It's not often going into a game, you know, you're going to walk out with a story to tell the rest of your life. Normally you're kind of rolling the dice. And if something cool happens, you'll have a story. If you were at the 05 Louisville game, you didn't plan on having a story the rest of your life. I <laughs> but, but now everybody has a story the rest of their life, but this is one that you kind of know going in, Hey, there's something I'll have to talk about from this football game for the rest of my life. And that's kind of cool. Yeah, and it's and he's been a staple of West Virginia football for for a very long time. He's meant a lot to the program. He's meant a lot to the university. He's meant a lot to the state. Um, I you know just quick story about Coach Neal and before we get out of here, um, you know when that debacle happened with Rich, um, Joe Manchin and and Coach Neal came and spoke with the team and kind of uh, you know just kind of put their arms around us and just kind of let us know that, you know, you know, this whole state's behind you. So uh, coach Nealon, and every time I see coach Nealon, he always gives me a big smile and says, you know, uh, you know, you definitely could have played for me. So it's always a cool thing seeing him and uh, for him to get enshrined in Mountaineer history is, uh, is as it should be. Well said. Well said. Yeah, I think I think that's I think that's the best way to wrap it up there, without a doubt. As it should be, Don Nealon going to be enshrined where he belongs uh, Saturday afternoon. Be there or be square. Final home game of the year. Last time till you know till Labor Day weekend that we'll get a chance to to be back there. So have some fun, enjoy it while it's gone, and uh, let's get the ball rolling here to finish the season strong. Uh, two two wins to close this thing out in the regular season and hopefully a fun bowl game to sink our teeth into in a couple weeks as well. Gentlemen, this was a lot of fun. Thanks to uh, all of our presenting sponsors. As always, thanks to our guy Skyler for putting this together. Make sure you're all getting involved in our weekly pick'em in the YouTube comments and on our, on our Twitter account is where you can find that link as well too. Um, and this is not it for the week. Obviously tomorrow we've got Phil Steele Friday coming up. Can't wait to see what Phil thinks about this one between two uh, old Big East foes. So make sure you're subscribing on YouTube, wherever you get your podcasts, in the gun. That's where you find us. And the one thing we ask of you is to be an ear and tell an ear about your new favorite WVU football podcast. For the Signal Caller, Jed Drenning and the Beer Truck, Owen Schmidt, I'm Wesley Euler. Thanks for listening, everybody. Let's go beat the Bearcats. You've been in the gun.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.